0: Welcome to Step Back Sisterhood. I'm one-year host Britt, and we have a great show for you today. First, we will be getting the lowdown on Thunder Nation as we speak to Amber about her thoughts about the team's rebuilding process. And in the second half of the show, Amber, Janelle... Tara and I are speaking with David Brandon, contributor at the Daily Thunder, to get his thoughts about the team and where they are heading as Sam Presti moves to sculpt the next era of the Thunder's history. But first, let's talk to Amber about her thoughts about the Thunder.
1: Okay, well, Amber, the first question I have for you is, uh, I don't have to tell you Oklahoma City Thunder fans have been through a lot the last few (laughs) years. So I just want to know how you're feeling as a fan of the Thunder right now.
2: I'm feeling very optimistic. I feel good. We lost. I knew that OKC would lose Chris Paul, Schroeder, Gallo. And I had a feeling about Steven Adams. I just I just felt that because it was a kind of a trial and error thing. We got Chris Paul for, for Brody. You, tra- you swapped that trade out. Adams has been there for a while. Um, you get, you get Schroeder and you get Gallo. So... OKC tried it out. I don't think that OKC expected the success that they had. That's what is very, very interesting. And then Sam Presti does what Sam Presti does, gets these picks, get a young, up and coming superstar, in my opinion, in Shea Gildress Alexander. And now we have something to look forward to in the future. You drafted Darius Baisley. It's gonna be very, very good. I'm looking forward to his second season. Honestly, you get Al Horford, you get a veteran, so you have pieces there in OKC. Now the West did get tougher. It did get tougher. So yes, OKC's been on a roller coaster ride. We talked about this before the show started. Since 2008, you know, we've been lucky. We've been spoiled. We've been blessed. All of those things wrapped up into one because you got Kevin Durant. We got. Serge Ibaka we got James Harden we got Russell Westbrook all in the draft we drafted all those players so you go from that and you drafted Steven Adams as well like we had no clue who Steve, I didn't know who Steven Adams was and I watched college basketball faithfully but he didn't play very many games for Pitt and they drafted Stephen Adams and people were like who what and then you saw him play you saw him developed as he got older how strong he got one of the strongest players in the league, according to a lot of people in the league, and you start to see it develop. And then OKC went to the finals, and Oklahoma City went crazy. Oh my god! The city was booming. The city was booming, and then you know you lose to the Heat four to one, and you're like, okay, so what's next? Oh, <sighs> I'm I'm laying on my in my bed. I remember this like it was yesterday, laying in my bed. All of a sudden, I get an ESPN notification. James Harden has been traded. Mind you, Kevin Durant was at the University of Oklahoma game because they were playing or Dame. He was on the field. He said, I found out at the game. And you're like, okay, okay. Take a deep breath. Then you find out they didn't want to pay him $4 million. Just four. Not over, not $4 million per year, just $4 million. And you're like, mind blown. Like, why? Why are you being so cheap? But I think it's what James Harden had to do to become the player that he is today. So now that I think about it, it's okay. Then you get to the Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook situation. And that happens. We blow the 3-1 lead to Golden State. Yes, Chanel. Okay, see, it blew the 3-1 lead to Golden State. Klay Thompson goes bonkers. And now Kevin Durant goes to Golden State. And people are like, oh, my goodness. Hmm. And now you have Russ there. And then you get Victor Depot there. So now you got Russ, Victor Depot, and Steven Adams is still there. Serge Ibaka is gone. I think he got traded to the Magic. Yeah, because it was a Victor Depot trade. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? And then we get Paul George. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe. And you get Melo. You're like, okay, maybe. Paul George resigns. And he said, oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to go and play for the Clippers. So all of that happened. And I'm still here for OKC Thunder. And we still made the playoffs last year after all of that. And I'm still very excited. <laughs>
0: Well, speaking of exciting, I, I don't know how exciting it actually is, but uh, there's now a new coach in, I guess, Thunderland. I don't know what your nicknames are. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but um, Mark Daynot, and they, the Thunder, did have their first preseason game, right? You know, yesterday. Well, it's time recording yesterday, and they played pretty well. Um, what are your initial thoughts about him, and do you think he'll be a good? new coach for this you know relatively young team
2: that's the that's the ultimate question I think everybody in Thunder Nation is very eager to see what he's going to bring to the table for these young guys and I want to see the development of SGA more Baisley um, Hami I want to see these young guys develop I really do you got some vets on the team you got George Hill you got Al Horford And I appreciate those vets. I I really do because we need that veteran presence in the locker room um, with all those young guys. We have all the young talent that we have. So I want to see how he does as a coach. I didn't get to watch the preseason game yesterday. I was telling Tara that I didn't get to watch it yesterday, but I'll watch the other two. NBA TV blacked it out for my area. So upset about that, but they blacked the game out for my area. So I guess I had to watch it on the Thunder app, but I'll watch the next two and only time will tell. Because this is rebuilding. We have all those draft picks till 2026, I believe. Oh, my goodness. So only Tom is going to tell Brittany with the coach, the coaching situation. But I will be paying close attention to how he uses these young players with the vet players to kind of mix what OKC has and how they do against Western Conference teams this year. I only really care about those tough teams because I want to see how hard they're going to play against those tough teams. Will they play as hard as they did last year against those tough teams? Because they really – they had the fifth – OKC had the fifth-best record, I think, after Thanksgiving or the fourth to fifth-best record after Thanksgiving. So I want to see how those young guys respond playing against the Lakers, the Clippers, you know, those teams that are at the top. I really want to see that. And I want to see how he coaches against those teams as well.
3: You guys got Al Horford, and he, he struggled in Philadelphia. And I'm just wondering, what do you expect out of him as your starting center or – you? think someone else will start and Horford will be on the bench
2: oh Horford's gonna start <laughs> I just don't I don't see him coming off the bench I want to see him play better than he did in Philly of course because I think it was I don't think it was the best fit for him in Philly it just it didn't work. But. You're playing with younger guys. George Hill, he led the, I think he led the NBA in three-point percentage last year. And SGA, he can drive and kick. Bays, um is working on his game. He's going to only get better. Hami is more of a slasher. So you have a wide-open floor. I'm not going to compare OKC to Boston. But in Boston, when he had a wide-open floor, he played very well. But that is Brad Stevens' system, so we can't really compare the two. But I'm just going to talk about scheme-wise. Has a wide open floor. In Philly, they didn't have any shooters last year. So the floor wasn't as wide open as it will be in OKC. So I'm hoping that he runs an offense, that Mark runs an offense that caters to the vets and the young players. So we want to run some pick and roll with SGA. Uh, We'll see how we can get Bazley more involved. Let's see what we can do with George Hill and his presence and his uh, three-point shooting ability and also his ability to get to the rim. Let's see what we can do with Al Horford. Uh, pick and pops are Al Horford's thing. I love when he does pick and pop, plays pretty good defense on the post. Let's see if we can get Al Horford revitalized this season. Let's let just see if he can be that guy he was in Boston. Even in Atlanta, he played very well for the Hawks. Let's see if we can get him revitalized in OKC because I would really like to see OKC win more than 30, 35 games this year. I would really like to see that.
1: When I was following what was going on with OKC, I pretty much immediately lost track because so much was happening. Um, But I'm so I'm wondering for you of all of the changes this offseason, which one has you most excited?
2: Ooh, most excited. Can I say the picks? The picks have me very excited. I was wondering
1: if you were going to say that.
2: (laughs) The picks are are very exciting. I heard I heard that. Theo, I hope I say his name right because he's French and he's been mentored by Tony Parker. Theo Melodon. Melodon. Melodon, I think that's how you say his name. Played very well yesterday. Poku had his moments yesterday. I'm excited for your two bays. I am so excited for your two, Darius Basley. But those picks are what I'm most excited about. That that for me was a win for OKC. It was a win for everyone involved. Well, on OKC side, I don't know about Houston and the Clippers, but I think Sam Presti did a heck of a job draft night and also after draft night and before draft night. I mean, Sam was busy. He was a busy man and I really appreciated him. I didn't know what he was doing. No one knew what he was doing. Like, what are you doing, Sam? Like, what exactly are you doing? And he just said, hold on, guys, let me do it. Um, there's a reason why I'm president of basketball operations. So what Sam was able to do, getting picks, Then I think he moved a couple of times. We had Kelly Oubre, Danny Green, and um, Ricky Rubio. Now we no longer have those guys. <laughs> so we kept Horford, kept George Hill. So I'm really excited about the picks. That's the most exciting thing for me is the picks. But I, wanna, I also want to see what we do
0: with those picks as well. You talked about this a little bit earlier, but do you think that the Thunder legitimately have a chance to sneak into that 8-9 game, or do you think they're going to tank or do something in the middle? I
2: don't think they're going to tank. I don't see OKC tanking. I just don't see it. Now, I will say that the West is tougher. I said this before. The West is tougher. Phoenix got better. Denver's Denver. Um, I'm eager to see what Minnesota does and see how they play. Sacramento, I'm not quite sure. You know, Utah's Utah. You got the Lakers. You got the Clippers. You got, you still got Houston. John Wall and Boogie look good. Mm-hmm. And then you got Golden State. They look good. I mean, it's just so tough in the West. And Memphis is still there. New Orleans is still there. It's going to be very, very tough to get that play-in game. Like I said, if OKC could just go on one of those streaks they went on last year, just go on one of those winning streaks and 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 you know hit the ground running, which will be very difficult. You can't lose games this season because there's only seventy two. You cannot afford to lose games this season. So I think I'll predict that forty, probably forty two wins will probably get you that eight nine spot. Maybe depending on what the teams at the top do, depending on how the rest how they do load management this season. But I think 42 games is what you're going to have to aim for. So you'd be 42 and what, 30, which sounds about right in the Western Conference um, to get that playing game because I believe that those top seeds, I think the Lakers, maybe 40 games, maybe, maybe going 40 and 32 because I think the Lakers are going to win between 50 and 60, you know. And, yeah, and, you know, it's always jumbled in the middle. It's always jumbled. Like four, five, six, seven, eight are always jumbled. So those, are, those teams will be like one or two games apart from each other. And then you got that playing in game. And, ah, that's going to be tough. So if, I think if OKC okay, so can win 41, 40 to 42 games, they could possibly sneak into that spot. Possibly. That's a big possibly. Chris Paul was
3: a mentor for SGA last season. Now that Chris is in Phoenix, what do you expect from SGA uh, for this upcoming season? How, how would you um like to to see him progress
2: I want to see if he could take over that leadership role a little bit you know he's the starting point guard for the Oklahoma City Thunder now Chris Paul gave him some great direction there's nothing like getting direction from a Hall of Famer right especially if you embrace the direction a lot of young players are not willing to embrace direction because they think they know it all but SGA even Schroeder were in basically basically talked about it a lot. Me and Chris Paul don't even talk about basketball. We talk about life. So I think SGA will embrace that, embrace that leadership role. And as as he goes, OKC okay, goes. Because now you are you are the guy, you are the engine. So as SGA goes, OKC okay, goes. And I think he understands that. I really do. This is year three for him. He played for great coach with the Clippers and Doc Rivers. He played for Billy Donovan. Now you have a new young head coach, uh, a team that's going in a different direction, but it's now your team. Year three, you usually don't get that year three point guard. Like this is your team in the West. So you're playing against all NBA point guards almost every single night. You're, that's what you're that's what you're up against every single night. How can you improve as a basketball player and as a leader to lead this team to one of those playing games? And that's what I'm looking for from him, from SGA, is improving as a leader and as a basketball player.
0: Now for today's interview, we're talking with David Brandon. David is a writer contributor at the Daily Thunder who focuses on the CBA. He is also a PR and marketing freelancer. Let's go to Amber now to start the interview.
2: Well, I'm hosting this show because we have a very special guest. Um, we do special guests. We want to kind of bring these guys in from each of our teams before the season started. We had a Rockets insider, we've had a um, Blazers insider, and we've had a um, Golden State insider. And today, we have a Thunder writer. His name is David Brandon. I found him on Twitter, so I finally got somebody to respond to me. Yes, and he writes for the Daily Thunder, and you can just plug in everything else that you do, and we can get started.
4: Yeah, thanks. Um, so I contribute every now and then to Daily Thunder. I'm not doing a ton of basketball stuff right now because I'm focusing on uh, building up my side business. Uh, but yeah, I I do keep up with uh, the Thunder a lot, especially the salary cap side. Uh, and yeah, I, I really enjoy the team and write about it uh, whenever I have the time. So yeah.
2: All right. I'm going to jump right into it. I'm, I'm going to give you a question. Um, I, I've said this plenty of times that I have a hard time pronouncing some of these guys' names, but I'm pretty sure you probably can pronounce them better than me because you're, you write for them. So how did you feel about the hiring of the new coach? And did you have someone else in mind for OKC?
4: Um, I didn't actually have anybody else in mind. Um, Cause here's the thing, like any anytime that we've tried to guess who the Thunder was going to hire, we've not been very good at guessing. Like even the people that kind of follow the team on a pretty regular basis, Sam Presti likes to go for the surprise hire. In this case, it actually wasn't that surprising. Um, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but (laughs) Dagnall, but he's, he's the, uh, he's been with the, the team for a long time with the G league affiliate. Um, I mean, I've been seeing his name crop up for years and he's slowly worked his way up the ranks. He's been with the org. He knows how it works. Um, and the thunder of NBA teams have one of the closest relationships with their G league team. They ran the same sets and I think they still run the same sets. They had the same playbook between teams. Um, they do a lot of the same things organizationally so that guys who get called up from the lower squad are very familiar with what's being run by the higher squad. So obviously the coaching staffs, uh, for both of those teams interact a fair bit. So I'm assuming that there's been a fair bit of crossover. So he's just coming in straight off the, and like he knows how everything works from the jump, uh, which is kind of an advantage of having somebody who's in-house. That being said, I have no idea what he's like as a coach. I've watched a little bit of the Thunders G League team. They've done decently over the years, but um, it's really hard to say. But I think if you're going to go for a developmental year, it's good to get a guy whose experience is doing developmental coaching. And we've seen some guys come out of G league who've done really well. I mean, Nick nurse being one of the latest examples. I mean, he just won a championship and he did the same thing worked his way up. So we'll see. I'm not saying that he's Nick nurse, but, um, he could be. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's hope so. Right.
2: (laughs) Let's hope so.
0: Well, as a, I'm a, a, definitely not a thunder fan but i've seen that a lot of a large part of the season and what has happened during the off season is the accumulation of draft picks uh, so do you see okc flipping some of those draft picks that they have um into a superstar of the future or do you think that they're just going to build um through the draft
4: it depends on timing so i there's kind of two parts to that. And I think in the immediate future, we will not see anything flipped. Because of how small a market Oklahoma City is, uh, where I think the 28th market in the league last I checked, 28th or 29th, Memphis is slightly smaller. Um, uh, and I think San Antonio's around it's like Memphis, San Antonio, Utah, and Oklahoma City, and someone else are all in the bottom five size. So and it's not like a very, it's a, it's not a very exciting market to play in. Like I love Oklahoma City, I grew up here. Uh, but if you're a 22 year old millionaire, it's probably not the most exciting city to live in. There's not a ton of nightlife. They tend to go after a lot of guys who have families, who aren't necessarily looking for the amenities of like a big city. So, uh, I mean, and the biggest free agent we've ever gotten is New Orleans Noel. Uh, so that being said, they do tend to go after guys in trade, um, which we know, but I think for them to do that, they want to build up a core through the draft first. Anytime that you see guys come in, in trade, there's always the danger that they're going to force a trade somewhere else. I mean, we've seen that over the last couple of years. It doesn't matter who you play for. It doesn't matter how long your contract is. You always have a choice. James Harden is going to go somewhere this year even though he has years left on his contract. If you want to play somewhere, you're going to play there. So they're going to get some guys who they can keep under team control for a bit and who are young and, and you know, might want to play for the city for a while. And then I think give it two or three years. If some of those guys pop, if say like a um, Darius Baisley pops or an Alexi Pokashevsky pops, or one of those guys kind of stands out from the pack, then maybe you start, changing gears but at the moment I think we got probably two three years to wait before they actually start flipping draft picks I do think they will eventually because you don't want to be in the situation that Danny Ainge has been in where you have almost too many guys to roster and the Thunder and the Pelicans are going to be in danger of that in the next couple of years but I think it'll be two to three years before we get there
3: okay pivoting back to coaching the Thunder was the last team that had a vacancy the field that vacancy Were the other coaches linked to Oklahoma city or um, was this new coach their intended target in the first place?
4: My guess is that he was their intended target. We didn't see a lot. um, I don't recall seeing much of anything about who they were targeting. And I keep a pretty good eye on that stuff. Any rumors and stuff you take with a grain of salt when it comes to Oklahoma city, because they are one of the most locked down front offices out there. Um, we knew several years back that they were looking at Kevin Ollie. No one heard anything about him this time. Um, and I don't think, I don't remember hearing anything before they hired, uh, Dagnall. So,
1: Okay, so I am a uh, Portland Trailblazer fan, and we're, you know, in the same division, so we're going to be seeing each other as, you know, Portland and OKC seem like they're always seeing each other, if not just during the regular season, also in the playoffs. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
1: Who show I... I don't even know who's on the team anymore. It's, it's changed so much. So who <laughs> should both. I be watching for? Who are going to be, you know, the the main, you know, guys on the team that are going to be, you know, getting the most time and making the most difference? Do you think?
4: I mean, honestly, good luck figuring out even if those guys are being be on the team, going to be on the team come playoff time if they were to make the playoffs. But my guess, looking at the roster as it stands right now is Darius Baisley would be a guy to keep an eye on. He hasn't shown a ton yet, but he's shown enough. He played really well in the bubble. Um, he's still pretty young. Um, and he's he's flashed like a really nice passing touch and some decent multi-positional defense, and he's got a pretty good shot. So he might be a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, other than that... I mean, it's it's rookies and guys who've been on the back end of the roster. Al Horford, I think, is going to make a little bit of a resurgence. I think he was misused in Philly. I keep forgetting um,
1: about him. I keep
4: forgetting yeah. that he's on the team. And George Hill is George Hill. Like he's always going to be steady. Uh, he's just one of those guys who's who's just a rock. Um, and Shea Gilgis Alexander is obviously the guy. Like, he's he's already shown what he could do in the playoffs with the Clippers and last year with the Thunder. Uh, they're handing him the reins. They're putting the ball in his hands. There's no more three-point guard lineup. It's just Shea. So this year is is the make or break. They hand him the ball and say, hey, it's your job. Make this team good. Um, so he's going to be the guy to keep an eye on the most moving forward and then probably Baisley secondarily. And then, obviously, the other two vets, Al, Al and George Hill, Trevor Ariza's is there too, but I don't. He's not with the team right now. Yeah, he he went through like five teams in the offseason. Right, season. so
1: that's where he's ended up. Okay. <laughs>
4: yeah, so he's on the Thunder. He's rostered on the Thunder, but because of family issues, he's mm-hmm. not actually with the team. Okay. Uh, so I don't know whether he'll join the team or not. But I think they're going to kind of process this one. Like they've got they've got some guaranteed guys on the back end of the roster. I think they'll just keep cutting and churning through them. Um, they're below the salary floor still, so they can afford to do it. And I think the only guys that are really set are recent first round picks, everybody else that's up for grabs.
2: Speaking of of SGA, I, I said this I had an interview before you came on and I talked about him being our leader. How important is it for him to be a leader for this young Thunder team?
4: Oh, it's I mean, it's extremely important. I mean, like you have you have older veteran guys who can be leaders like Al Horford and George Hill are obviously going to be like respected voices in the locker room, but any young player and especially a young point guard, if they're going to lead a team, he's in his third year. Like now is the time when you really expect to start to see them have their own voice. And I think Shay is at the point where, you know, this is the year where he's going to be the guy in the locker room, the mm-hmm. veterans, the veterans, may or may not be with the team. They may, George Hill may get bought out. Al Horford may get traded, whatever. Uh It's Shea's team moving forward if he wants it. Um And yeah, I mean, I think this is his opportunity.
0: You mentioned earlier that Horford was misused in the 76ers. I, I, and I guess it may be a little bit hard to sort of tell with the new coach how he will be utilized, but how do you think Will be utilized if he does stay on the roster, you know, longer than, you know, half a season or even less.
4: I think they're going to play him with the five and I think they're going to start him um, because Sam Presti has over the last couple of years has tried to, I mean, not even just the last couple of years, he's had a history of trying to rehabilitate guys, you know, who've, you know, had down years or, I mean, even as far back as Deion Waiters, that experiment didn't go so good. Schroeder was successful. Uh, Chris Paul was successful, and I think he's going to try and do the same thing with Al Horford, play him a fair bit uh, and use him uh, in the modern NBA. He's a five. He's not a four. Um, And I think you need to play him decent minutes for him to to show you something. And I think with the team construction, there's a decent number of passers and ball movers on the team. I think he'll show out and there's no clear like there's no like dump the ball down to Joel Embiid. Uh, there's no clear front court guy that you're just going to say, Hey, give it to him. So Al could be that guy, uh, for the thunder. And I mean, hopefully he'll kind of have a little bit of a resurgence. I love Al Horford. I always have. Um, so I think his role is starting five.
3: Speaking of Horford, is it possible that he will be traded even if he succeeds in OKC?
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, I'd probably put that as a more like, more likely than not. If he succeeds, I think he will be traded. If he doesn't, I don't think he will be. Uh, because, I mean, Al's got this year, next year guaranteed. And in 2022, 2023, he has uh, 14500000 guaranteed. That goes up to 19.5 if the Thunder win the NBA Finals in those years. But that's not going to happen. So... <laughs>
3: <laughs> so let's say he does get traded. Um, what do you, you see Presty uh, flipping him for?
4: Oh, um, that's, that's really hard to say right now. There's not a lot of guys who make his salary, and I don't think they'd want to take long-term salary on without getting compensation picks in return. Uh, if Nick Batum was still in Charlotte, I would have said Batum. I don't think, I mean, obviously that's not an option anymore. Um. I mean, y'all with your teams that you follow, I mean, can you think of any people that are making like 20, 25 that that might be, you know, considered salary cap ballast? Because the way that Presti usually works is anytime he trades a guy, he wants to get salary cap ballast, a young player and a pick of some sort. That's generally been the modus operandi. I don't know who specifically that would be, but that's generally the way that he goes. Um, So if that trade were to happen, it would be something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say Eric Gordon, but I I don't think the Rockets win the trade <laughs> with the Thunder anytime soon.
4: Yeah, uh, that, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I don't think. Yeah, that might actually not. Huh. That's that's an interesting idea, actually.
1: Yeah. How old is Eric Gordon?
4: Not that old. I want to see. He's say like, like 32, 30.
1: 33. Oh, he is. Okay. Oh, he's older. Yeah, he's than the I same. Yeah, yeah, he's the same age <laughs> as the. He's
0: the same age as Harden, um, slightly older.
4: No, he's 31. He's 31. He was born in 1988.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's slightly older than Harden, but they're around the same age range. Like, what would be their positional
1: need?
4: I mean, the Thunder's not going to look at positional need. It's super fluid. They're not going to look at positions at all. Um, I mean, if there's any guys here that I can see, Tobias Harris is one, uh, although they're not going to trade with the Sixers again (laughs) for Harris. (laughs) That would be funny, though. Let's see, is there anybody else here who... I could see maybe Blake Griffin, depending on how he plays this year, because uh, he's been injured a lot, and if he becomes something of a liability, Detroit could try and get uh, get off him. And, and uh, he has a really long contract, and there is a relationship between the Detroit and Oklahoma City front offices, because Troy Weaver's been with the Thunder forever. I could see maybe a Mike Conley uh, from Utah... Uh, Jazz, love big guys. Conley didn't play great to start the year last year. He came on a little bit later on, but they could they could flip him and some assets uh, if they wanted to, and Horford played well. Actually, Golden State, I could see with, uh, I mean, Wiggins is literally Sam Presti Reclamation Project par excellence if Horford played well. Uh, And his contract's shorter than Wiggins' is, too. Let me just put on the record that I hate that idea because I'm a Wiggins fan. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, those are a few guys that I could see. Like, they make, oh, Otto Otto Porter, too. He plays for the Bulls. And there's actually a relationship between those two front offices and between the coaching staffs. So I could see, you know, any of those guys and assets would be movable for Horford if Horford came on. I don't know if the Bulls are, I don't know what the Bulls are doing ever. So who knows if they would try to contend, but
1: it's interesting to me just like how wide open the future is right now for OKC. I mean, it's just with so many draft assets, with such an interesting collection of guys on the team right now. And then I also think that the play in game or the, you know, the little play in tournament that the NBA is going to add also kind of changes things around when it comes to like you know tanking or not tanking i don't know i just i'm interested to see how that uh that changes everything um but that's not my question my question uh is about personalities because y'all have had a lot of really interesting personalities on okc over the years um and a lot of them have moved on so you know russell westbrook has moved on Um,
4: I was waiting for this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not going to ask you about Russell Muth. You know, Stephen Adams has moved on. Like, uh, so I guess who are you going to miss in terms of just being a really interesting person on the team and making the team really interesting and like making their chemistry unique? And then who do you think is up and coming who we should all uh, keep an eye on because he's going to be really interesting?
4: Oh, that's a really, that's a really good question. I like that. Um, Steven Adams, obviously one of the best interviews in the league, like all the beat guys love him because he's, he's one of like maybe 10 or so guys in the NBA that will sit down and like consider your question and actually give a reasoned, interesting and well thought out answer to an X's and O's question. There are not a lot of guys who will take the time to do that. uh, And Adams is one of them. And he's also just like a really fun, interesting guy. But he's, uh, I mean, like, obviously I'm a Thunder fan. I'm involved with the Thunder media people. I see a lot of Thunder interviews. And Adams is a guy who's always stood out because he just takes that little extra bit of time. And I think because he came to the game late, he understands how to explain it in a way that a lot of the guys who kind of grew up playing it don't. Because it he has had to have it broken down for him more at a later age, and so he kind of knows. You know, when you're really good at something, it's hard to explain it. Uh, but if you've had to come up kind of through the trenches, it's it's easier to, you know, tell people how it goes. So yeah, I mean, from from an interview standpoint, obviously Stephen Adams is the big one. Um, I mean Russell Westbrook, um, he's a polarizing guy. Um, he's not always fun to interview from the people that I've talked to, but he is a guy who will be missed like his personality made the thunder who they were for better or worse. Like the, in, basically his entire tenure in OKC. Um, he's just that big of a personality larger than life. As far as guys right now, uh, Darius Baisley's a really fun young dude. Um, just really, uh, if you see him on like Instagram or any social media and stuff, he's just like a genuinely funny, like, happy go lucky young guy and and seems like he's really enjoying life uh and all his teammates seem to love him um sga fashion wise uh he's he's a little crazier than some of the other guys personality wise i haven't seen like a ton out of him but yeah i mean and on the court personality wise Pokashevsky is somebody called him the other day like a 7 foot white jr smith that's, wow, that's kind of how that's he quite a picture <laughs> yeah that's how he plays Um, it, there's the confidence is like, he's not, he's a very young prospect. He's very raw, but like, if you want to look at somebody who's just going to do something outrageous on the court two or three times a game, that's the guy. I don't know what he's like personality wise outside of that, but on the court, he's just a super interesting character. Um, yeah, hopefully that answers the question.
1: I want to know what you thought I was going to ask about Russell Westbrook.
4: (laughs) Oh no, I just. Uh, I mean, like, I I know Janelle's like a Golden State fan. I don't know where everybody else is from, but like, I'm always like bracing for the Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook questions. I'm like, all right, what am I going to say to this?
2: (laughs) Speaking of Poku, let's talk about the draft a little bit. How did you feel about the Thunder's two picks? And were you able to watch the preseason game yesterday?
4: I wasn't able to. I caught highlights and stuff. I wasn't able to catch it, though. Um, I liked the bits that I saw from them. Uh, and from the people that I, you know, that I follow on a regular basis, Maladon looks really poised. His mentor in France was Tony Parker. I loved that draft by the way. Uh, so to get back to the start of the question, I love the draft. Uh, Maladon was a guy that a lot of draft people had had fairly high on their boards coming in. And I'd heard that kind of like 15 through 40 was kind of flat. There were a lot of guys in that range who could pop. And he was one of the guys that I was kind of excited about because I knew he had been mentored by Tony Parker and Tony Parker was Sam Presti's pick. So Sam Presti was the guy who convinced RC Buford to draft Tony Parker when he was with the Spurs. And like when I saw Maladon was on the board, I'm like, yeah, okay. That's a guy that they're probably going to be interested in. Um, And Pokashevsky is, you know, high ceiling, low floor. He could be Dragon Bender. He could be, you know, he could be KD. Nobody knows. I, I mean, he's probably not KD. Let's, let's just put that out there. KD's one of the best players ever in the history of the NBA. But, you know, like the tall shooting forward with handles like a guard, like that's the, that's the prototype that you're trying to make him into. Um, he's just, he's so young. He ha- hardly has any experience. He's super raw. Uh, But I like the Thunder developmental staff, and I think uh, they can make something of him. So of the places he could have landed, I think the Thunder is one of the better ones. And I was really happy with that pick because he was a guy that, like, if you're picking in that 15 to 20 range, you want a guy that, like, you know, maybe they have a little higher upside. If you're you're at the stage that OKC is, you want a guy with a little higher upside, you don't want to go for the safe pick. Uh, and they didn't, so I love it.
2: Now, is there a chance that OKC does not draft well and people get upset with Sam Presti about gathering all these picks? You oh, think there's absolutely. A chance of that Okay.
4: Yeah. No, I mean, like, honestly, like Sam Presti's draft record late in the first is not that great. It's like uh, people, people think he's a better drafter than he is because he's scored consistent. He's done decently. Uh, but he doesn't have the record of somebody like, say, a Tim Connolly, or like even the Lakers' development. I mean, not li- developmental, but their draft staff has done a pretty good job in the last couple of years. There's a few teams that have consistently pulled good players out of undrafted guys in the back end of the draft. Miami Heat come to mind; they've pulled a few mm-hmm. gems out, and the Thunder have not been that. So there's a chance he just whiffs. Like, uh, I think he's a good drafter. I don't think he's a great drafter, Uh, but a lot of that also depends on staff. And it's just hard to say it's been 10 years or longer since he's had a team in this position. And, you know, we often talk about uh, general managers and coaches in this very static way that we don't with players because players, it's easy to kind of evaluate. We have a lot more to evaluate with them general managers and coaches are harder to say like, well, yeah, that guy's grown in this area or that area or whatever. You can't do a film breakdown on somebody. Um, So maybe he's learned in the years since maybe he hasn't, it's hard to say Um, there is a chance that he just completely whiffs. I don't think that's going to happen because I think he's smart enough to get off any sunk costs quickly enough. He's a good GM. Yeah, it's always possible that they just completely screw it up.
0: Speaking of 10 years, um, with Steven Adams you know, being the last player that had any direct connection to the first, you know, generation of Oklahoma City Thunder players. Do you think that the last 10 years of the Thunder have been successful? And what do you think would be a success, you know, outside of championship? Because, of course, that's the ultimate goal. But what would be the definition of the success for the next 10 years for the Thunder as a
4: rebuilding? That's an interesting question because it actually touches on something of like civic pride for me because like i'm i'm an okc resident i've lived here since i was five like i love my city i'm proud of my city and having lived here since i was five years old and watching the growth that's happened till now it's literally night and day from from what i remember growing up and when we moved here in 1995 uh we lived in a small suburb north of I say small, like a medium-sized suburb north of Oklahoma City called Edmond. And I remember there were like two streets that had much of anything on them. And now like Oklahoma City is a metropolitan area. It's like well over a million people in the metropolitan area. There's a thriving downtown. Um, The civic programs are going really well. Uh, There's sort of been this, and the Thunder are part of that story. Uh, So when the Thunder came here, Uh, the Oklahoma city had been trying to get a professional sports team for 10 or 15 years by that point. Like they'd tried the MLB, they'd tried the NHL. I mean, they tried uh, NFL, but that was never going to happen. And then when the Hornets came, they tried to see if they could keep the Hornets. So honestly, I'm not sure why anybody was surprised when they bought the Sonics and the Sonics came to Oklahoma city, because that was literally always the plan for them to get a sports team because that was one of the things that's like okay we've made it as a city. And so when the thunder came to town, it's like everybody packed it out because you know this is something that like it, it's more than just sports for this town because there's and I and I know like you guys know this with following the teams that you follow. Like there's there's something here that's more than just sports. Like it's part of the story of like hey, we're not just a, you know, little nowheresville in the middle of the country that nobody has to care about. We're going to go play against the Miami heat and LeBron James on national TV. And everybody has to know where we are now. Like, guess what? We're here. And, you know, as somebody from here, like that is something that I'm like, you can never take that away, you know? And even if, you know, we've never quite gotten to the top of the mountain, the fact that, you know, a team from my hometown, That's, you know, it's a flyover state. It's like, I love my state, but I'm under no illusions of what it is and what people think of it. It's a flyover state. But the fact that we can be there in the discussion of, hey, this is the team that's been good consistently for years and years and years. uh, And they've come close to touching the summit of the mountain at least once and been in the discussion a couple of other times. You know, that's something. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd love to win a championship, but the fact that we're even like in the ballpark of it is something that I never thought I'd ever see. It's like the highlight of my sports watching career as a kid was going to see the tier uh, Oklahoma City Blazers ice hockey team, which was like, I don't know what division they played in. It was like, like third string, fourth string. And now we have a professional sports franchise that I can watch. Like that means something. So yeah, if that answers the question, like it is, it is more than just basketball for us.
3: Let's just say you're Sam Presti and you have all of these draft picks. What is your strategy for the um, foreseeable future?
4: Use as many draft picks as you can and churn through them. It's basically Sam Presti did the process before it was cool. The Sonic slash Thunder of 2007, 2008, 2009 is literally the process Sixers. Just there was no fancy marketing name. And he's going to do it again because that's, you know, guys tend to revert to pattern. And and that's how you rebuild in a small market. It's kind of how you rebuild in a big market. Get a lot of guys. Try to get the best draft picks you can because your chances are better of getting a generational guy. And nobody wins without one of those. Uh, and turn through guys on the back end of the roster and see who sticks. Um, some of those guys are going to pop. Some of them aren't. And they're going to be aggressive about cutting and and drafting. So, yeah, just give yourself as many cracks at it as you can and try and turn up those uh, generational players.
1: Are, are there odds yet on how many of those draft picks that he's holding right now that he's actually going to use? <laughs> what is it, I, like
4: 16
1: in the next six years or something like that?
4: It's crazy. Actually, let me pull up the... Uh, Hopefully Eric Penks has updated this. Um, because he usually has a pretty good
1: I, I tried so hard to keep track of OKC this whole off season just because <laughs> I was fascinated by them.
4: Oh, good luck.
1: Well they just they absolutely fascinate me because like you were saying, they got so close, you know, um from after having you know not too long after having inherited the team they got so close and they had all these just like like we were talking about super strong personalities who've now all gone um and so i just have always been plus i read that book uh boomtown about okc and so i've
4: i've sort of sam anderson comes closer to actually giving somebody an understanding of oklahoma city than anyone else for an outsider he did a really good job
1: he's he's the guy who wrote boomtown right yeah yeah, yeah. And the, the thing that I took away from it was that in, in Oklahoma City or in Oklahoma, um, and Amber, you can weigh in if you think this is right or wrong, uh, is that, you know, things need to be big. Things are just bigger because you're in the middle. You're in the middle of where all the storms come through. You're in the middle of where all the big ideas come through. And so everything just needs to be big. And so when I look at this team right now, I'm wondering, like, where's the boom Uh in this particular mm. roster and maybe the boom is coming. Maybe it's Shea just Alexander. I don't know. Um, that's kind of a tangent. <laughs> Do you think there's boom there yet?
4: I don't know. I mean, Shay could be that guy. I like what I see when he plays. He's, but I don't, uh, it's hard to win a championship with a point guard as your best player. It can be done. Don't tell me I that mean, I'm a Portland fan. <laughs> oh, I know. Like Dame's one of my favorite guys. Like, I didn't say it's impossible. I mean, <laughs> Steph Curry did it, but Steph Curry's also a guy who, like, he's one of those people like Shaq or like a, uh, you know, like Michael Jordan or LeBron or like he's one of those guys that like the game shifts around him. Mm-hmm. It's like that the game changed when he came on the scene because of you know one skill or something that that one of those guys possesses, and being a guy who's just really really good. Uh, I think you need a wing. I think you need a wing or a big man um, to be the best player on a championship team to really have like the best possible chance of winning it. So I don't. I don't know if Shea's that guy. Not because of anything against Shea. I think he's awesome, but I think you need a wing or a big man just because like especially in the playoffs when the game slows down, um, there's advantage being taller, being able to see over guys, being able to uh, hit shots that it's hard for mechanical skill to make up for that. Unless you're a guy who has some sort of generational talent,
1: Mm
4: -hmm. um, you know, like a Steph Curry,
1: but being one of those, you know, like you're talking about smaller market teams where it's harder to attract free agents. You know, I always thought guys like Westbrook, he had the boom and even, you know, Chris Paul, when he was there, you know, he, he had it. So I'm really interested, uh, to see where it goes from there. I actually had one that wasn't going to be my last question for you. <laughs> my, my question was going to be uh, as long as you have been covering the team, what have been your favorite stories that or, you know, m- memorable ones that really stick
4: out. I mean, the ongoing story of Steven Adams, just like his, his development since he came in the league, he's one of my favorite players here. Uh, just, just an interesting dude. Youngest of Many, many kids came from a sports family, but like almost wound up a street kid and then comes to the Thunder and like year over year becomes like a solid player. Uh That that was a cool storyline. I really enjoyed uh the CP3 storyline like CP3's CP3 was my introduction to basketball. That was the first professional sports game I ever watched uh, in person was Chris Paul playing with the Hornets in Oklahoma City.
1: OK, so when they were there, OK,
4: when they were there, yeah. Um, it's like I remember they played we went to two games over those couple of years and one of them uh, I remember seeing Paul Gasol uh, when he was with the Grizzlies you know they had like a Chris Anderson dunk counter in the, but like seeing Chris Paul come back to Oklahoma City was a really cool storyline for me personally because he was my introduction and then uh, what about the
1: cupcakes
4: <laughs> oh yeah I uh, all of that is stupid. I felt a way about that. It's like, I still feel a way about KD, but whatever it's water under the bridge. Uh, he doesn't have to think about us and we don't have to think about him. So it's whatever. Um, and the older I get, like I work in marketing and advertising, I'm a little bit cynical about all that stuff. Uh, so yeah. Um, not my favorite story. I felt very passionately about it at the time. I still feel I'm not happy about it, but um, you know, it is what it is. The game is the game, as they say. Um, so it's not necessarily a favorite for me. 2012 actually like one of my favorite times, it's actually one of the worst thunder times, is the year that everybody got hurt. And I remember watching they had like eight players who could dress. Uh, and I remember watching like Nick Collison play small forward. Uh, like that was how bad it was um and and like Perry Jones that was a fun like two game streak. He scored like thirty points a game for two games and then disappeared again um but yeah those those have been some of my favorites. <laughs> Perry Jones. I haven't thought about that name in a long time.
2: yes, I haven't thought about Perry Jones either. He's a pretty good player, Baylor, and then I don't know what happened after that. It was yes. just kind of just kind of gone with the wind, I guess you can say, His and
4: knees are busted. That's what it yeah. is. His knees are busted.
2: <laughs> but you know that before the draft, like, you know, they do all those medical evaluations and things like that. I know Tar, this hits close to you because of Brandon Roy, but you, you, you know, that you, you know, medical examinations, they do those very thoroughly because these guys are worth a lot of money, especially if you draft them high. So you want to make sure that you're drafting a guy that doesn't have chronic knee issues or back or whatever it is they're dealing with. That's what I'm assuming
4: Right. But I mean, like Perry Jones was like 26 or something like that. Uh, he fell because of his knees. So, I mean, he's one of those guys that you gamble on. It's like, you remember Michael Porter Jr. fell because of
2: the back, uh, yeah. his back,
4: you know, and he looks like he's a steal for Denver now, you know, you never know what's going to happen with some of those guys, you know, and especially if you have a later pick, it's worth taking the risk.
2: Yeah. I, I just really enjoy watching him in Baylor. I'm a big 12 I graduated from University of Oklahoma, so I'm a. I watched the Big Twelve like faithfully. Sooner, so yeah, sooner, yeah. I I really enjoyed watching him play at Baylor, and I really thought he would be better than what he was. And then all of a sudden, he's just not there anymore. And I was like, dang, what happened to Perry Jones? And I was like, wow, he's not even on the roster anymore. The same thing kind of with Jeremy Lamb. I think Jeremy Lamb, uh, when he left OKC, he got better. Is that that's weird to say, but I think he got better. I just think he was behind a lot of guards, and he just couldn't get the minutes.
4: Yeah, Um, I mean, he was. He's never been like a great player, but he's a serviceable player.
2: Mm -hmm. And he he's played very well after OKC. Um, Does anybody? He was also
4: in like his second year, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he was. Yeah,
2: he was. And you know what? You know what? uh, What else I could say? about like situations like that is C.J. McCollum. C.J. McCollum was waiting. He waited a little bit, and then they moved on in Portland, and then he, became, he automatically became Dame's number two. So I think sometimes it's just like that, and I don't know why, but it is, it's the NBA. It is what it is. A
3: Thunder seems like to be a team in transition. You know, you really don't know what's going to happen this year. I'm wondering, which players do you see – being like a wild card or X factor for the
4: team Uh, and the immediate term or long-term or both
3: both
4: Um, immediate term X factors. I think Dort is an interesting case uh, because like he's a, he's a good defensive player, but he's not like a guy that you lean on for offense, but he scored pretty well in a couple games in the playoffs in the bubble. And, you know, you hope that with a guy like that, like I love, I'm like probably the world's number one, maybe the world's only Andre Robertson fan outside of his family. It's like, I love, I love Dre. I love defense first players, but like you kind of got to be able to score the ball at least enough to make somebody respect you. Uh, and Dort being able to do that at like even to have like one or two moves in his bag, uh, that he can lean on would be really nice for a team moving forward. Um, and then, like, I mean, I guess there's a lot of guys on the back end of the roster that I don't even know. Um, I mean, like, you look at the Thunder's roster right now, it's like, who's Admiral Schofield? Like, who's Isaiah Roby? Frank Jackson, I think he was the G League MVP last year. He'll probably make the team. Hami Diallo, they say he's at a good training camp, but nobody knows. He's a run-and-dunk guy. Like, pfft, I don't know. Kendrick Williams played decent for New Orleans. Like, I don't see a ton of guys on here that it's like, hmm, maybe they just pop. Long-term, Poku's the guy. Like, if he's good, it changes the Thunder's trajectory. If he's not, uh, you know, it's a wasted pick. Yeah, I mean, and Baze, Baze is the guy that I'm most intrigued with in the immediate term because he's, he's the one guy who's on the team right now who's young, who showed something already outside of, like, Shea. So I guess if you could say like an immediate X factor, it'd be him. If he's good immediately, it changes the, like it means that your trajectory suddenly shortens and, you know, you're talking two years ish to put together a team as opposed to like three or four.
2: I'm a, I'm a huge Darius Baisley fan as well. I'm looking forward to year two Bays. Um, I want to see how Mark uses them in offense a little bit more. I think personally the base should be OKC's second leading scorer behind Shea. But that's just my opinion. People might say, well, Al Horford or maybe even George Hill, but George Hill doesn't score at a high clip. Mm-hmm. He's more of a guy that he can shoot the three ball very well, plays pretty good defense. He's a steady player. But I want to see those two young guys lead OKC in scoring. I want to see Shea and Bayes lead OKC in scoring. That's just my personal opinion.
4: Yeah, I'm with you there. I yeah. mean, if those two, if those two do that, I think there's a solid foundation to build on.
2: Yeah. And I'm I'm interested to see how those international players pan out as well. All right, guys, that is it. That is it for today's episode. I would like to thank David so much for coming on and talking Thunder basketball. There's a lot going on with OKC in the future. A lot of picks. A lot of things happened before the draft, during the draft, after the draft. But I really appreciate you for coming on. Uh, Could you tell people where they can find you on social media?
4: Yeah, uh, you can find me at at NBA on Twitter. The, I'm fairly active there and I answer DMs. Uh, so yeah, feel free to reach out, especially anything salary cap related. That's a specialty for me and I love helping people learn about it. Uh, so yeah, feel free to touch base.
2: Alrighty, David, thank you so much.
4: Thank you.
0: Thanks again for listening to our show. We would love for you to follow us. You can follow the show at Step Back Sisters. Amber is at simplyme underscore AV. Janelle is at Janelle 12. Tara is at TCB Biggs. And I'm at Brit Robotista. If you love listening to the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. We'll talk to you next time on Step Back Sisterhood.